From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. Hi, J.R. So, Republican U.S. Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson caused a big stir last week. A group of Republican military veterans asked him to apologize for implying during a debate with his primary opponent, State Senator Leah Vukmir, that his service as a Marine shields him from criticism about his past as a Democrat. Nicholson is a former president of the College Democrats of America, and he did some work for the Democratic Party of Minnesota in 2002. The veterans also demanded an apology for Nicholson's questioning the, quote, cognitive thought process of veterans who decide to become Democrats. This apparently was a reference to former Democratic U.S. Senator and Secretary of State John Kerry. The nine veterans who sent Nicholson a letter all support Leah Vukmir in the race to unseat Democrat Tammy Baldwin in November. But Nicholson refused to back away from his comments. So this is getting kind of bizarre. What do you make of all this, and what is the race between Nicholson and Vukmir going to look like going forward? Voters in a Republican primary aren't necessarily going to feel comfortable if they think that Nicholson isn't authentic. So he's got to prove that he is an authentic conservative, that his record is real. And he keeps taking shots at Leah that, you know, she's this kind of career politician. She's part of the Madison bubble, part of this kind of establishment, and he's what you need to shake things up. But he also admits that he's something new and different. And in, in Leah's words, you'd be taking a chance on him. So there's there's that dynamic at play. Now, with the comments about, you know, the Democrats who serve in the military and then can you support the party, you know, there's a thought from people I've talked to that, you know, he's not backing away from this comment, even though I haven't talked to people who think it's helpful. Even some uh, Nicholson supporters think it maybe wasn't the right way he wanted to say this. And what people kind of talk to me about is that, you know, in Wisconsin, typically, to win a statewide race as a Republican, you need moderates. You need some, some Democratic votes. This is not necessarily going to help that cause come November if he wins the primary. You know, he seems to be kind of pushing an entire party and saying, you know, I'm not interested in what you got to say. You guys aren't really in my boat. How that plays out later on, we'll see. But it seems to be part of Nicholson really playing a role of play to the Republican base, saying, I am a true conservative and I am a a you know, hardcore warrior for the GOP cause. All right. And speaking of incidents that have caused an uproar, everything is back to normal again in the House of Representatives, at least as far as the job of House chaplain is concerned. Speaker Paul Ryan was in Milwaukee last week defending his decision to fire the chaplain. Critics had been blasting Ryan, saying the decision was politically motivated, But Ryan said it was about pastoral services and that House members had been complaining about the chaplain's service for a long time. But then, late last week, Ryan changed his mind and reinstated the chaplain. So why the sudden flip? Well, one thing that he said in his statement late last week was that um, original decision was what he believed was in the best interest of the institution, but it's also his job to do his best for the body, and that means it's not served by a, quote, protracted fight over such an important post. So it seemed like it was becoming a distraction for GOP leadership. It wasn't worth the fight. Um, you know, people have taken shots at Ryan because he is a Catholic that, you know, that why are you you know, punishing this guy who's also a, a Catholic? Well, what's going on here? So it just seemed in the end not worth the PR 
nightmare that had become or the problem that had become to, to deal with it and just kind of push it aside and move on. And that seems what he's trying to do. We were talking before about uh, Vukmir and Nicholson in another contest that many people are watching. We've been wondering if anyone else is going to get into the race for the first congressional district since House Speaker Paul Ryan announced he won't seek re-election. Last week, we found out that Congressman Mark Polkan of Dane County tried to talk State Representative Peter Barca of Kenosha out of running, saying it would be too hard to get in with only three months to go until the Democratic primary in August. Barca would face Randy Bryce and Kathy Myers. Uh, Polkan endorses Bryce, who's nicknamed the Iron Stash, and Bryce has raised nearly $5 million of mostly national money so far. Barca admits it would be difficult to get in this late in the game and says he'll have a decision soon. He also intends to meet with Bryce and Myers before he announces his decision. Why would Polkan try to talk Barca out of running? Well, there are a couple of things that Polkan mentioned. I mean, how late it is in the process, um, the challenge of raising money that these guys are far ahead. Plus two, you know, there are some liberals who believe that Randy Bryce helped push Paul Ryan out of the race of the 1st Congressional District because of his fundraising. Now, Republicans bristle at that notion, to say the least. They don't think that Randy Bryce was a threat to Paul Ryan. But for these folks who view it that way, the Democratic side, if you believe that Randy Bryce was a reason that Paul Ryan got out, then you have a more established candidate come and say, well, no, you, nice job, now you step aside now. For me, that rubs in the wrong way. So there's also that issue going on. So, you know, for Barker, there are a lot of challenges, you know, raising the money to try and catch up, um, getting a later start. You know, Bryce has been at it since last summer. Kathy Myers has been going at it since last year. So, you know, how does he catch up if he gets in? Uh, where does he build the support? You know, Bryce has locked up a lot of national endorsements. How is that going to play out? They're all challenges he'd have to address if he got in. At the same time, Rennie Bryce has got some flaws as a candidate that Republicans are eager to exploit. They're going to talk about how he you know, fell behind on child support payments and that he purchased Twitter followers and all these, these kinds of things. He didn't uh, settle up financially with uh, somebody he'd been at a relationship with. You need these things that, that they think will play poorly with voters once they hear more about Rennie Bryce, the person, more than just the image of this kind of iron worker with this great rollout video they laid out there last year that's really kind of helped with his fundraising and you know it's be interesting how that plays out um but bark is you know certain run out of time we're talking we're here in uh you know early may but we've got roughly three three and a half weeks until the nomination papers are due you got to get signatures you have to get the operation going the primaries in august you got to raise money by then i mean bryce is already up on tv and kathy myers who's been overshadowed by Bryce quite a bit. She's, you know, she raised $500,000 in the first three months of 2018. That's, for an, a first-time House candidate, that's usually pretty good money. It's just not really Bryce money. Um, so that's, there's some hurdles for Barca if he decides to get in, and then he's got to make that decision sometime soon. And if he decides to get in, why is it important for him to meet with Bryce and Myers? And what do you think that meeting will look like? I don't know. I mean, it, it'd be interesting if they're trying to, you know, establish a tone or, you know, they're all going to play nicely with each other. If they want to try to avoid a very you know, hotly, you know, personal campaign, it'll be interesting to watch how that would play out or what they would try to establish in such a meeting. 
On the topic of another race, Governor Walker launched his first TV ads of his re-election campaign last week. The one ad highlights his efforts to boost worker training in the state, while the other focuses on his push to fight opioid abuse. The ads are airing as Walker doesn't know yet who his Democratic opponent is going to be. By this time in 2014, the slate was virtually set. It appeared likely that Walker would be facing Democrat Mary Burke in the general election. Does that make a difference in how Walker tailors his ads right now? Uh, You know, possibly a little bit, but what's kind of happening here is Governor Walker has talked often about the need to remind voters of his successes. You know, know, he's taken some shots at the media. They're not, you know, doing their job or in his mind of of focusing enough on the things that he's accomplished. But he wants to remind people what he's done, and this is the first taste of how he's going to do that. Now, what's interesting to note about these ads is in talking to people last week, they know they were geared in their minds towards suburban women. Remember, Republicans have had a problem with that demographic across the country uh, in the last year and a half or so, these special elections. And a lot of people attribute it directly to Donald Trump and what's happening in the White House and just kind of an ill feeling about some of that stuff. So these ads seem tailored toward that demographic. I mean, uh, the job training grants, it features a female uh, EMT and fire, fire, firefighter who benefited from these job training grants to go back to get a different job. The opioid problem is one that hits across the spectrum in Wisconsin. I mean, it cuts across social lines, economic lines, racial lines, but this is definitely something that is a an issue that suburban women are paying a lot of attention to. So they see, the people I talk to, they see a theme a little bit to start that trying to lay down a marker with some people that Walker has done well with before to remind them, hey, you know, here's some stuff that I've done I'm still the same guy I remember from 2010 and 2014. In another race that appears to be picking up steam, Democratic Attorney General hopeful Josh Call blasted Republican incumbent Brad Schimmel last week on a couple of fronts. He called Schimmel's suggestion that President Trump and Republican Senator Ron Johnson wouldn't have won in Wisconsin without the state's voter ID law an incredible admission that the law was designed to help the GOP win elections. Then call questioned why Schimmel hasn't joined a multi-state net neutrality lawsuit. We haven't heard much from the candidates for attorney general thus far. Is this a sign that the race is heating up? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Schimmel, to Republicans, he's talking more about, like, the voter ID law, ensured integrity at the polls and those kinds of things. But to Democrats, he's opening the door to, you know, more of a line of, well, this is a partisan intent beyond this law. What's happening to the AG race is that there just isn't a whole lot of attention on it so far because we have, I don't know how many candidates right now running for governors, Democrats. Uh, we have a U.S. Senate race that's one of the most important in the country. Uh, Governor Walker's getting up on the air. I mean, all these things are happening. It's May. People aren't really paying attention just yet, possibly to what's going to happen in November. But this race has got to find some oxygen at some point um, to breathe on its own. Otherwise, I mean, if you can't find a footing as a candidate to define yourself, you get it swept up, one of the, the national wins might be that Supercross Wisconsin. If it becomes a great year for Democrats, that would help call. If it becomes a great year for Republicans, then, you know, help shimmel. But if you can help define yourself a little bit, you know, create an impression with voters, you can fight against certain tides. And the question is, can these guys, with all that's going on statewide, you know, governor's race, U.S. Senate, et cetera, can they fight across, you know, fight for attention and dev- develop their own, you know, identity with voters that may help them stand out no matter what happens nationally in November.
And finally, taxpayers will put up nearly $2,000 to settle a lawsuit brought against Democratic State Representative Jonathan Brostoff of Milwaukee. The conservative law firm Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty sued Brostoff over an open records request in which the Institute asked him to send thousands of pages of emails electronically, as it says the law allows. Instead, Brostoff printed off the emails and charged the Institute $3,200 for printing costs. Brostoff says he was acting on advice his staff gave him. A settlement has taxpayers footing the bill for the Institute's court costs. Do you think this incident will follow Brostoff? You know, he's got a very safe assembly seat. It's very democratic. I don't know that's going to be a, a major issue unless someone wants to make one of it at this point. It is, though, I think the third example of lawmakers who have tried to push back his open records request and have not been successful. Uh, there's a, currently another case involving GOP Rep. Scott Krug. I think it's in the appeals court right now. But this is something that eh, doesn't look so great for bro stuff, but considering his seat, I, I just don't get the impression that it's going to be a defining issue that would become the central theme of a campaign to, to run against them. I'm not seeing that just yet. Uh, it is, though, a victory for those who uh, believe in uh, open records laws being as you know accessible as possible and that those requirements should apply to the state legislature in ways that are affordable and accessible to people who request those documents. All right. Thanks for joining us, JR. Anytime. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.